he was in pain, like b- heavy breathing, things like that. So I knew like I was really worried because he was only six months. Hello, dog lovers. Welcome back to Rescued by a Dog, the podcast about dogs who have actually saved their owners' lives. Today, we'll hear two stories about heroic golden retrievers whose owners wouldn't be alive without their protection and dedication. This episode is sponsored by New Zealand's Nature Film, which creates and curates gorgeous documentary content inspired by the real world, from presenter-led survival and lifestyle series to high-end blue-chip natural history. Check them out at www.naturefilm.nz, or as they would say it, NZ. First up, here's a story about a puppy named Todd who saved his mama from a rattlesnake. Hi, Paula. Hi. <laughs> who is your dog that we're going to be talking about today? Uh, Todd is my dog, and he's a golden retriever. He is now five. Um, when this happened, when he saved me from a rattlesnake, he was six months old. I've never had a dog that was so sensitive, and Todd is like so sensitive. He is extremely like he has so many like very caring dog. When I'm sad, he he kind of knows, so he kind of ha- is like near me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm happy, he knows I'm happy. So when you, when Todd was about six months old, he saved your life. Can you just tell me that whole story? Yeah, absolutely. So it was um, June 29th of 2018. We went out about 6.15-ish um, to a trail. It's a paved road, um, a trail well-known in Arizona. It's 7th Street and Carefree. and um, I walked up the mountain and everything was fine. They were both on the leash. It was Copper and Todd. And, um, you know, he's only six months. So, I mean, he's kind of sporadic and like, you know, kind of very curious about things. Anyways, as we were coming down, um, Todd, like really quickly, I wasn't really paying attention and he darted toward my leg quickly, like just kind of like it kind of was sudden and I didn't really know what he was doing. Um, and when he darted toward my leg right by my foot was a rattlesnake and it struck him Mm. instead of me. It was a huge, large, um, uh, diamondback rattlesnake, just sunbathing. We bothered him. Um, you know, he was, there was no warning or anything because he was literally sleeping you know, and he, he got him right here, right by his, um, under his eye and his, by his nose. And, um, I could hear him. He welped when he got struck and, and I was like, what's going on? And I pulled back and that the snake actually lunged again at my other dog, but I was able to kind of get back far enough. And that's when I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And, Um, and I I saw the blood coming down his face. I picked him up. I let go of copper and I just said, copper, let's go. And I ran down the hill, like ran. He was whimpering 
whimpering, like he, I, he was in pain, like heavy breathing, things like that. So I knew like I was really worried because he was only six months and, um, you know, I was crying and then I was like, Oh my God, you know, like I just, I was really upset and I didn't know like what was going to happen. And it was just, it was really sad. And then I got in the truck and I called my um, veterinarian hospital right away. They were closed because it's so early in the morning. And I just kept redialing, 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 redialing. And finally, as I was driving, like avoiding all traffic lights, I was literally going so fast. Um, finally they picked up and I said, you know, my dog just got bit by a rattlesnake. Please, please have everything ready. I'm going to be there in like three minutes. Um, so I got there and, um, they took him in. What did, what were you feeling at that time? Uh, hopelessness because I didn't know if he was going to be able to survive, you know, and I just, sat in the waiting room with Copper and cried. And they gave him Rattler anti-venom, but um, he was just kind of resting. And so I went back to the um, vet and like just laid with him in his little crate. He wagged his tail and, and he's like, hi, mom, this sucks, but hey, I'm all right, you know. I snapped a little um, picture of him and and I posted it on social media and all hell broke loose after that. Like, it was like crazy, um, you know, and I wasn't doing it for any other reason, reason other than just saying, hey, say a little prayer for my puppy. When it comes to animals, we all connect in a certain way and animals kind of bring people together whether you have other disagreements other places in the world animals bring people together and this was a really feel-good story and I think people just were um, in love with it we we were on so many news stations and and not not even really understanding why just telling my story you know but It just so happened that people just connected to that story. My friends had mentioned to me that we should get a GoFundMe for Todd. And I was very against it because I felt he's my dog. He's my responsibility. And um, where I lived, I was known to be positive Paula. And a lot of people sort of didn't like my positivity in life. People, you know, can say mean things about people that are positive and so I didn't want them to give them another reason to kind of like dig at me and so I was like no I, I don't want to do a GoFundMe or anything like that it's just it, he's my responsibility but what if we do a GoFundMe in his honor so we raised over six thousand dollars for Anthem um, Pets and Rescue if Todd could understand human English, what would you like to say to him? Um, thank you for being my hero. Yeah. Hi, listeners. I don't know about you, but 
I love Positive Paula. Now we'll hear about another golden retriever named Paris, who saves her best friend Austin every day. This is Austin's mother, Erica. So this dog, her name is Paris. She's um, a very um, cream-colored golden retriever. Um, and she is my son, Austin's service dog. So um, Austin, a little bit about him and his background. He was born with two really rare brain malformations. Um, and the most interesting part is usually you get one or the other. Um, he is the only case where his doctors are familiar, at least, uh, where he's got both in, in one brain. So he's very, very unique. Um, he does have a slight intellectual disability, um, a significant speech delay, and um, the, the most scary uh, side effect, I guess, of his um, malformations is uh, refractory epilepsy, which really basically means difficult to control. Um, so he has a significant seizure disorder, um, and he can have just about any seizure type. So um, most people who aren't familiar with epilepsy um, think of seizures like you might see in the movies, <laughs> where it's, you know, whole body shaking and such. Um, but there are lots of different types of seizures. Um, so he was having um, tonic-clonic seizures in the middle of the night. And tonic-clonic seizures are those seizures that you see in the movies where your whole body is shaking. Um, I actually found out on accident because he gosh, he was like five years old. And my boyfriend at the time was away for the weekend. So he said, mom, I want to snuggle with you tonight. I said, absolutely, buddy, you know, come on in. And he woke me in the middle of the night having a seizure, which was terrifying. So his body is very rigid and shaking and he more or less like blacks out. Um, Austin, some, some people with epilepsy can remember what's happening in their seizures, but Austin does not. Um, and from that point forward, I was afraid to let him go to sleep in his own room, in his own bed, and like really out of my sight. You know, as a mom, it's a very scary thing. In the middle of the night, he'd be asleep, he'd seize, um, you know, possibly need, there's a kind of medication that I can administer um, if the seizure doesn't stop on its own after three to five minutes. Um, sometimes he'd need it, sometimes it would stop on its own, um, but it was really unpredictable. Um, we couldn't nail down like when they were going to occur. We couldn't, you know, have any sort of inclination about like what kind of activity might um, produce a seizure. You know, it just kind of happened when it happened with no rhyme or reason. For a long time there, we were almost housebound, um, you know, not really getting out of bed because, you know, with seizures, you know, it's the seizure, but then it's the post-ictal effects from a seizure where you're drowsy and tired and irritable and cranky. And, you know, there's, there's no way to really push through any of that. You just really have to sleep. I was afraid to let him go to sleep in his own room, in his own bed, and like really out of my sight. You know, as a mom, it's a very scary thing. There's a couple of risks. So with um, prolonged seizure activity, um, whether it's, you know, that big tonic-clonic or even, um, you know, they're called clusters where you have like small seizure after small seizure in a, in a period of time. Um, but the risk is, you know, brain damage, whether oh. it's temporary or permanent um, or even death. Um, and with epilepsy as well, there's this phenomenon, it's called um, 
short term is SUDEP. It's sudden unexpected death with epilepsy. Um, and it happens when an epileptic patient just kind of like goes to bed and doesn't wake up the next day. It's not a seizure in the middle of the night most times, but um, it's just kind of an end of life sort of risk. Um, so we, we needed a little bit of help kind of understanding his seizure disorder. I, um, started doing some research on, um, dogs that could do scent work. And I was pleasantly surprised that, um, dogs actually can detect the scent of a seizure before it happens. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, we need this in our life. And we sought out uh, a seizure alert and seizure response service dog. So we found an organization uh, that specialized in service dogs for children, um, and we filled out a bunch of paperwork. <laughs> Basically, they chose the dog that would best suit us. We raised our um, commitment, which was about $15,000 at the time. He was in kindergarten um, when we started fundraising, and he was in first grade when we, we finally got placed with her. How would they have trained Paris? Yeah, with actual seizure seizure scent. So um, I would send a t-shirt that Austin was wearing during a seizure, um, overnight it, and they would actually use that t-shirt to do some scent discrimination work. Um, So by the time that Austin met Paris, she already knew what his normal smell was, and she already knew what his seizure smell was, and she already could tell the difference between the two. So these two from literally the gym um, have had a really great relationship. They bonded instantly. The bonding experience between a child and their service dog, especially a disabled child, you know, depending on the level of disability can be difficult because the dog will look to the parent, you know, for food and shelter and, you know, potty breaks and, and stuff like that. So it's sometimes difficult to make sure the bond is with the child and not with the parent. Um, But for me, again, very fortunate. It it couldn't have really gone better. Um, Even back when we were training, I remember the training director at one point we were in the mall, um, you know, doing some public work and Austin and Paris were just like cuddling on the floor, which, you know, maybe was a little bit gross, but this was prior to COVID. And, you know, he came over and he said, you know, so I I see bonding is going quite well. And and then it kind of hit me like, oh yeah, like it is going quite well. And, you know, we really hadn't had any, any hiccups. Um, This is actually how I realized I made the right decision, you know, because with With seizure alert, they tell you it's not 100%. You know, it's not a perfect science. Dogs are going to be dogs still, you know, at the end of the day, even after all of this training. So there was always a risk that it might not work and that the bond might not work and the scent discrimination might not work. And we'd have to go back and basically go through the whole process a second time. So um, it was risky. But for us, we actually had the opposite happen. Um, We thought Austin was having one or two tonic-clonic seizures a month when we brought her home. But we brought her home and she was like adamant that, you know, more seizures were there. She was alerting all of the time. And I went to his neurologist and epileptologist and I said, something's going on or this dog's a little bit wacky, (laughs) you know, and so... We've got to find out if she's telling us about something. And it turned out that she was. So 
we brought her home in November of 2014. Um, in May of 2015, we went into the hospital. Um, we had a video EEG to monitor Austin's seizure activity. Uh, and it turned out that he was having near constant seizure activity. Activity. Many of the seizures were subclinical, so they were the kinds that um, you can't actually see with the naked eye. Uh, and if not for Paris, we might not have even figured it out that early or at all, um, because EEGs are usually, you know, I say usually, but depending on the case, um, like it's like a once a year thing. You do it just to check in and, and see how things are going. Um, we weren't scheduled to have this EEG, but it was Paris and her determination really that, that, you know, made us schedule it and made us look a little bit deeper. And she like truly diagnosed some of the seizure activity that we never knew about. He's got so much resilience. I mean, and especially now that we have learned more about his disability and we were able to make, uh, you know, medication and actually dietary adjustments over the years in order to help solidify some control of his seizure activity. Um, we actually, this is very, very exciting news. We just had our annual EEG done last month. Um, and for the second year in a row, he actually was completely seizure free and I like a knock on wood I, I don't even like saying it out loud you know to go from near constant activity just a few years ago to now being completely seizure free in that period of time it's unheard of and incredible and if not for Paris you know we again we might not have even gotten to this point in his his seizure care Austin play soccer um, in a special uh, Olympics league and years ago we were just you know at soccer practice like if any other day you know we didn't expect anything but I kid you not from like the most opposite side of the field Paris is she has this thing where like her nose goes up and her ears perk and she just kind of like smells and she pulled me in his direction across the soccer field. You know, we were hustling um, and she immediately went into an alert. So her alerts for her look like um, just licking. So she doesn't give kisses like a dog, a normal dog might. Uh, if she's licking, it's because she smells a seizure or something else. Um, she also smells my migraines, which is a whole other thing. But across the soccer field, she was determined she needed to alert. Um, and she did. And two days later, he had a very nasty tonic-clonic that required rescue medication because it wouldn't end on its own. And gosh, he was probably eight or nine when this happened. So we'd only had her a couple of years. It was still fairly new for a working relationship. What did you do as a result of that alert? Um, we stayed close to home. I don't even know if we left home, <laughs> to, to tell you the truth, for the next couple of days. Um until that point, we, we knew that her her alerts were pretty far in advance. They were usually a day or so early. So it gives us lots of time to prepare. Um, he didn't sleep in his own bed. You know, mom was like, you know, on the, we've, he's got like a monitor in his room. Mom was on the monitor. Mom wasn't really sleeping, but uh, we were prepared and we knew that something was coming. Um, and in addition, in addition to, you know, making sure that he was safe and had the medication that he needed and the support because she also um, will lay on him and provide like deep body pressure, like a weighted blanket sort of thing um, during a long prolonged seizure. And it actually like is a miracle in its own way, usually brings him out of them without medication. Um, 
which is just insane. But because we knew the seizure was coming, we were able to get the materials that we needed to provide his seizure sent to the training organization to help other um, seizure alert dogs, you know, get trained with what a seizure smell might smell like. So it was, it was twofold. She saved his life and uh, possibly helped somebody else or another dog you know, save, save their child's life as well. Does she freak out when it's happening? What does she do? She barks. Um, so she doesn't bark again. Like she doesn't bark at the mailman. She doesn't bark when people walk by the house. Her bark means, mom, something's happening. Get in here and see this. So she she barks to alert to me um, and then she'll lay on him um, when I tell her it's safe and she's okay. And, you know, you got to position him on his side and such. Um, so she'll lay on him and try to help him come out of that seizure. Honestly, it's most other times except for this one time she has helped him come out of his tonic clonic seizure. So she'll lay on him and like within seconds, again, it's like miracle level <laughs> wizardry. Um, but within seconds, his body will stop shaking and he'll slowly come to, um, and he'll just kind of like look around, sit, you know, not sure what's, what's really happening, but, um, he's always got his best friend there. And, um, you know, he usually pets her until he's able to, you know, formulate sentences and, and get a little bit back to baseline. Um, he has not needed rescue medication since fifth grade is in ninth grade now. So it's, it's been several years where like, she's not only our security blanket, but she is our go-to and our non-medical intervention. If, if the worst case scenario happens. Mm -hmm. Is he happy to see her when he comes to, and she's the first thing he sees? Always. I mean, they are very rarely separated. And even like when she is, she went to the groomer last week, you know, it's always like a reunion. They're so like, you know, you, it's like the movies where, you know, you see two people who love each other running toward each other in slow motion, you know, it's like that for both of them. Um, so it's, it's really beautiful. They spoon together, you know, at night when they're falling asleep or if they're taking a nap. We're actually planning her retirement uh, because she's getting up there in age. She'll be nine in a couple of weeks. Uh, when we got her, she was just under a year. She was 11 months. She'll retire as our family pet. Um, we are just so grateful. Uh, she has helped Austin mature enormously. Um, and because of her, he's going to be able to live um, at least a semi-independent, but likely an independent life someday. I was afraid to go to bed and miss a seizure. Um, so I can sleep, um, you know, without Austin in my bed and I can sleep through the night. Kind of helped me feel like a, a typical teenage parent because I, I may not have ever felt that without her. You know, I, I probably would be stuck in some level of, you know, post-traumatic stress. I think that she has really um, taught him that it's okay to be himself um, and that he's safe being himself. And it's, it's given him a sense of security um, that he never would have had.